All right. Welcome, everybody, to our Thursday night session. How's my sound? Testing one, two, three. Let me know. Um, wanted to, uh, we're going to talk about um, this evening um, chapter two in Ken's little book, Ending Al or Resistance to Love. Chapter two is all about uh, the not so subtle ways that we resist <laughs> our resistance, that we fight our resistance. Different ways of putting that. We fight our fear. You know, if we're afraid to do something, we force ourselves to do it. Um, most of the examples that we can think of, um, of forcing ourselves to face our resistance, our fears, our whatever it is, and then kind of force our way through it, they're usually about behavior, usually. Sometimes it's about what we're thinking, um, mostly about behavior, I think. Like, like uh, I forgot who told me, who told me that they jumped out of a, they, they skydived out of a plane because they were scared to death to jump, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I wanted to uh, open with a paragraph that Ken's going to mention in this chapter two about learning how Learn, learning the subtle ways we fight against our resistance, and we're going to prove it, prove to ourselves we we can't, we, we don't have to resist. Um, one of the places he mentions is page six twenty five in the text, the beginning of chapter thirty, the rules for decision, page six two five, and um, I'm on paragraph one in, in section one, just underneath the introduction. So, um, basically, what he's saying here in this very first paragraph is what, what gets repeated through all seven rules for decision. You know, we kind of start out our day, and, you know, we want to try to be holy, at least start out the morning right, and then we barely get out the door and something goes wrong. But the gist of it is to always be willing to let ourselves be guided back to an understanding of our real purpose, to, uh, to um, an awareness of how, how much resistance we have to doing this course. Not to beat ourselves up for it, but just to realize it and step back. And then, and then always, I think, ask the Holy Spirit or Jesus for help. Really, we can't do anything with our resistance by ourselves. We really need to, you know, interact with that inner voice of peace, of love, of understanding. Call it Jesus, call it Holy Spirit. But we need that um, connection in our, in our awareness in order to, I think more than anything, it's almost like an indirect way. He calls it a backdoor way of, of dealing with it, um, dealing with our resistance. We don't face it head on. We don't fight with it. We don't say, oh, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> How many times have we said that? How long did that last? But the gist of it is, and I think um, I was reminded of uh, Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson basically put the whole program of Alcoholics Anonymous together. And whenever Dr. Bob was, he called it getting squirrely. <laughs> whenever Dr. Bob thought about having a drink, in those days they, they just took the alcoholics off the street if they were really in bad shape and they put them in a hospital. So he would go to the local hospital in his town, I believe he was in Ohio, and, um, and just ask the lady at the desk if there were any drunks. And, 
in the in the hospital and could he go talk to him and he was always making it very clear to them that he was not there to get them sober <laughs> he was there to talk to them about drinking and so that he could stay sober <laughs> and of course you know most drunks would be like well yeah i'll help you not i'll help you stay sober <laughs> i can't do it but if if it helps you talking to me about it i'm quite willing to talk about it most addicts would do that most alcoholics i think would do that so um so the backdoor approach was once he interacted with somebody else, once he, he was willing to go and talk with somebody, and if they asked, he'd, he'd, he'd tell them how he was staying sober himself. But just that, that kind of uh, a willingness to reach out and find, and, and in a way, find somebody to help. In terms of the course, we don't have to go far to do that. In our mind's eye, we can think of anybody. Our parents, our kids, you know, our co-workers, people we can't stand, people we really like. I mean, we don't have to go far to find somebody in our mind's eye to say to them, to interact with them, to help them by asking Jesus to help us see them the way he does. So that's the indirect approach I think he's talking about. The way we don't fight resistance is we go and we try to connect. We go and we try to practice the process of forgiveness. We pick somebody we have an issue with, and then we ask for help to see them the way Jesus does. Then we wind up looking at ourselves and um, we ask Jesus for help, for help to help us see ourselves the way he does. But this idea of being willing to help, the, the most recurring word in, in all 12 steps of uh, recovery, in all 12 steps, the, the, the most recurring word is we. We go find another we. <laughs> we go find somebody else that's part of us, and we ask for help to see them the way Jesus does. In the 12-step recovery process, we go find another addict, and we try to help them out. Or we show up at meetings and we share our experience, strength, and hope when we try to help somebody else out. It's actually the 12th step of recovery. This focus on we. In order for us to keep what we have, we have to give it away. That's about as fundamental course teaching as you can get. We have to give away what we have in order to know that we already have it. We have to be willing to see holiness in our brothers so we wake up and we feel the holiness. So it's a really backdoor approach. I mean, it's not directly taking resistance to doing that head on, to acknowledging our holiness. But we start with the we thing. We start with anybody that's pushing our buttons. Am I willing to see you holy? So a lot of times when I'm reading this stuff, like he says, don't fight yourself. Well, then what the hell do I do? <laughs> I mean, give me a program here. Give me something to do. <laughs> well, well, the 12 steps are very concrete about that. But I think the course is very concrete, too. Practical and concrete, and it works if we do it. The three steps of forgiveness. So, yeah, anyway, page 625, beginning of chapter 30 in the text, paragraph 1, where he says, Decisions are continuous. Chris, you're in a jolly mood like you always are. You want to read that? <laughs> Please. No, thanks for saying that. 
first paragraph? Yeah, well, decisions are continuous. Okay, decisions are... Yes, decisions are continuous. You do not always know when you are making them. But with a little practice, with the ones you recognize, a set begins to form which sees you through the rest. It's not wise to let yourself become preoccupied with every step you take. Tell me about it. The proper set adopted consciously each time you wake will put you well ahead. And if you find resistance strong and dedication weak, you are not ready. Do not fight yourself. But think about the kind of day you want and tell yourself there is a way in which this very day can happen just like that. Then try again to have the day you want. Keep just like, or, no, just like what, Chris? Well, I think you want to be, you want to be happy today. Really. Mm. You want to have no worries and uh, don't worry, be happy kind of thing. You know, I just would like, uh, or for me, I would really like to, uh, well, I think what was today's uh, lesson was uh, I seek, uh, today I seek and find the peace of God. That's the kind of day I want. Because all, all, really through the book, it's always seems like it's talking about how we seek, but do not find. And today's lesson is like, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's like I seek and do find. Uh, I seek and find the peace of God. So that's the kind of day I want. So in... Um... In line uh, six, when he says, if you find resistance strong and your dedication weak, you're not ready. He doesn't, he didn't mean put the book back on the shelf for 10 years and come back in 10 years when you're ready. <laughs> That's what no, might just give, He's just giving you a break. Do not fight yourself. It's like, it's beautiful because it's like, he's so understanding on uh, the points when we want to just say, oh, screw it. I'll just go back to uh playing awful golf like I always do and I'm just a big loser and all that just going into all that all that sequence you know of events do not fight yourself but think about the kind of day you want and tell yourself there is a way in which this very day can happen just like that hmm. so I mean he's saying he's not saying don't hold my hand anymore hmm. but that's implied here at least for me then try again to have the day you want but not all by yourself don't listen to the ego because my ego would say okay this today is the day i'm gonna make it i'm gonna you know how we often do how we, and really how our culture is it's like you know pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and be tough and all that kind of stuff yep. so just take my hand and we're gonna have a good time today no matter what happens it sounds like a rock song to me. <laughs> I want to hold your hand, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love the Beatles. That, uh, they got it going on, you know. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Speaking of Lesson 230, why don't we do that as an opening meditation? Maya, where in the world are you? Are you back in, in Oregon? No, I'm not going to be back in Oregon for a long time, Tim. I'm... Uh, 
I'm in Sebastopol right now, and tomorrow I'm going to look at my first uh, possible home to buy. So. Oh my! Well, how'd you get all those beautiful? You still got beautiful colors. Look at that quilt behind you. That's really something. <laughs> my my dear friend, whose house I'm staying at, is a quilter like me, and mm. she's got quilts all over her whole house. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Very cool. All right. Yeah. So today I seek and find the peace of God. And that is on page, or, oh, it's right before what is salvation. So it's page Ooh. 406. How's yep. my sound? It's good. Okay. okay. Lesson 230. Now I seek and find the peace of God. I think I'm frozen, but if you can hear me, it doesn't matter. We can hear you. I think you're frozen too. <laughs> Okay. In peace I was created, and in peace do I remain. It is not given me to change myself. How merciful is God, my Father, that when he created me, he gave me peace forever. Now I ask but to be what I am. How can this be denied me when it, it is forever true? Father, I seek the peace you gave as mine in my creation. What was given then must be here now. For my creation was apart from time and still remains beyond all change. The peace in which your son was born into your mind is shining there unchanged. I am as you created me. I need but call on you to find the peace you gave. It is your will that gave it to your son. Thanks. Thanks, Maya. We'll get quiet for a little bit. And gently, gently come back. Any, any other comments or thoughts so far about anything? All right. Let's jump into chapter two. It's, I, I, it's an interesting section for me anyway, because it, it's, it starts pushing all kinds of ego buttons in a way I did not expect. <laughs> Um, uh, and, and because of that, I thought it was kind of like all over the place at first, but I was thinking about as he's going through these different scenarios, the not so subtle ways we fight our own resistance and we don't call it that we call it something else. And then when we realize that may be what we're doing, how do we step back from that and have a different experience? And like I said, Dr. Bob would go to the hospital and he'd ask to talk to another drunk. And then he would lose that sense of needing to be squirrely, needing to have another drink. 
in our case, it would be needing to keep on obsessively judging about whoever it is we're obsessively judging about. Just by having that contact with that other person that we do have a problem with, looking at them, experiencing them through Jesus's eyes instead of through our own judgments. I think that's the way out of resistance all the time. My own resistance begins to melt away when, I'm be, when I get willing to see you the way Jesus does. And ultimately when I'm willing to see myself, my true self, the way Jesus sees us collectively together as one self. So yeah, looking at resistance, page 13. Sally, you feel like reading? Please. Sure. All right. Start at the top? Sure. Looking at resistance. Question. Once you meet the resistance, do you stay with it? Answer. Yes. Once you meet with the resistance, you become as fully aware of it as you can. Freud said that one of the key elements in successful treatment is to have the person become more aware of their resistance. The similarities between Freud and the Course in Miracles are striking, both in theory and in practice. All you need do is become aware of their resistance and say, quote, oh, there I go again. Ob obviously, I have a split mind. What else is new? In a sense, that attitude of indifference and nonchalance will enable you to get past it. You want me to go on? Oh, yeah, one more. I love that word, nonchalance. Nonchalance. <laughs> I'm not sure you got it right. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, please. I, I don't have any of that, whatever it is. <laughs> I need the nonchalance. <laughs> so you, you got the chalance, right? I got the chalance. <laughs> I got the shivers, too. <laughs> Oh, the worst good. thing you can do and the last thing you want to do is fight against your fear. Is fear and worry the same thing? Yeah, they're all the same. <laughs> Ego, fear, death, worry, yeah. Okay. Don't, re don't resist the resistance. Simply be aware of it. In Rules for Decision in Chapter 30, under the very first rule, Jesus says, do not fight yourself. Do not fight against your fear. Do not fight against the ego. When you do, you make it real. There's a wonderful line in the Bible, quote, resist not evil, Matthew 5, 39. From the perspective of A Course in Miracles, when you resist evil, you have made it real and therefore even stronger. When you fight aggression with aggression or attack with attack, whether you do it personally or as a head of state, you will never have peace, never. That is why there will never be peace in the Middle East, Africa, the Indian subcontinent, or anywhere else. It is always fighting hate with hate, fighting hate with aggression, and fighting aggression with both sides of every conflict, convinced they are justified in what they are doing. The thought system of hate, which ultimately is the thought system of separation and attack, is repeatedly reinforced. 
How can you possibly undo something you are continually strengthening? The way to weaken it is to step back and observe it. Reacting makes it real. Gently observing it undoes it. There's a crucial section at the end of chapter 23 called Above the Battleground, which comes shortly after the laws of chaos. The heart and soul of the course's treatment of the ego system. Being above the battleground means raising yourself beyond the body, not literally, of course, to, but to be with Jesus in your mind, looking back down on the battleground of specialness and bodies in the world. You observe the battleground and do nothing more. Wow. That would be a, a good practice if I did it. <laughs> I think that would be helpful. Um, I wake up worrying uh, about something that I, a mistake I made, and I worry, 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 and I, my ego beats me up. Um, usually every morning when I'm just, as I'm waking up. So um, uh, today I will make no decisions by myself. I guess I should say today I will stop worrying by myself. <laughs> Bring Jesus into the equation. You know, help me, help me see how this resistance, how this worry keeps me from love. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Sally. When um, when Ken says, uh, there's a wonderful line in the Bible, resist not evil. When you do, you make it real. My bad boy self love that. I'm not going to resist evil. I'm just going to give into it. <laughs> it's not real anyway. <laughs> I use that as an excuse to do all kinds of things that were not very friendly or nice to anybody else, much less myself. So I mean, it's a big book. I can use the chords and beat myself up with it <laughs> if I'm doing it from an ego perspective. And God knows I did. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and then, so there's that part of it. And then there's the part I think Sally was talking about. The, the When we're feeling something, we're depressed about something or we're worried about something or, or we're just downright terrified and... All those feelings on a range come and go, and they go up and down, and we, we can't seem to stop it. Once again, I think the backdoor approach, rather than fighting that and, and try, trying to force ourselves not to worry, trying to force ourselves not to be afraid, trying to force ourselves not to be depressed, is to simply... And, and, you know, I think it helps inform sometimes, too. And, and Ken even says it. Sometimes it's good to actually physically connect with somebody and, you know, go for a walk or something. Talk to a friend that, you know, you trust. Talk to anybody else, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, connect. But certainly internally, that connection is what be, helps us begin to be a little less depressed. Internally, that connection with Jesus inside of us looking at our brothers, looking at ourselves, looking at him, that, that, that is what begins to evaporate the worry and the depression. And suddenly we're feeling pretty good and we didn't even know how we did it. Because we didn't do it. <laughs> we just were willing to connect. And in that connection, the fear and the worry, the depression, etc., began to subside. Yeah. Thanks, Sally. Yeah. Thank you.
Oh, you know, like I heard this at a 12-step conference eons ago. To be able to wake up in the morning and instead of saying, good God, it's morning, and then I'm worried again. I'm often running worried about the whole day. To be able to wake up in the morning and say, good morning, God. Good morning, God. <laughs> Let's go for it. Let's do it together. <laughs> we can do this. We were born to do this. So, yeah. Yeah, good. Thanks. All right. Kathy, you want to read some? Please. Sure. All right. All right. So we're at the bottom of page 14, right? The yeah. Beginning with two lines. Mm -hmm. Two lines. <clears throat> yes? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> two lines I frequently quote are illustrative of this process. <clears throat> One has to do with forgiveness and the other with the miracle which are virtually identical. Both statements are in the workbook in part two. In the summary on forgiveness, Jesus states that forgiveness is still and quietly does nothing. It merely looks and waits and judges not. That is a wonderful description that encapsulates the essence of A Course in Miracles. The waiting is my patience in not being so afraid. I look at the resistance and do nothing about it. I do not judge it but merely look. Keep one going. more. One more, yeah. The same idea is expressed in the summary on the miracle, where Jesus says the miracle looks on devastation and reminds the mind that what it sees is false. That is another wonderful description. The miracle looks on devastation. It does not look on love, light, or peace. It does not look on Christ or heaven. It looks on devastation, which has two levels. First, the devastation in the world, the pain and suffering that goes on both internationally and personally. That level comes from the projection of the devastation in our minds, which is the second level. Our minds are tortured with guilt, not to mention with the fear that God will destroy us because we destroyed heaven. The miracle looks on that devastation and does nothing. It is simply the remainder, reminder in our minds that what we are looking at is false. It is the choice of the decision-making part of our minds to join with the Holy Spirit in the forgiving miracle, quietly looking without judgment. So I, I wish I had read what we've read so far this evening. Um, for the day because I found myself getting very impatient with just about everything today. And um, now I can go back and I can try and have the day that I want or the evening that I want now. Very good. And if you have any problems, call Chris. He'll walk you through it. <laughs> He's got it down. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, oh, I thought one of the, one of the not so ironically funny, but kind of true is, um, when the miracle looks on devastation, basically bodies are all walking devastations. <laughs> I mean, they're, you know, we done left heaven. <laughs> we think we separate from God internally. We stuff ourselves into these little little walking things that are pretty messy. 
<laughs> like walking, we're like walking sticks of devastation, dynamite or whatever. And uh, so to be willing to, to look at your brother, the miracle is that you look at your brother who you see as, as trying to devastate you in some way, shape or form. <laughs> Whether it's a family member or somebody in traffic that's trying to infringe on your right to be you. You know, it's like, it's like, basically we're saying you're, you're an engine of destruction. <laughs> that's the way I see you. You're an engine of devastation and you're affecting me adversely. So to be willing to see our brothers beyond that is the way out of this stuff. Not to, not to fight with our brothers, not to try to fix them. <laughs> we're still going to wind up being bodies uh, or, or believing. If we wind up believing we're bodies, nothing's going to change. If I wind up believing I'm a body and you're a body, this devastation has to be intact. It will be intact, and that's all I'm going to see. And if I don't see it right this second, I'll be waiting for it. And I know it's coming. The miracle sees, looks on devastation and doesn't take it seriously. It looks on bodies and does not take them seriously. With, going back to what Chris was saying earlier, we do this with Jesus. We do this with the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do this alone. What was the other thing? Oh, I like when you said, it's simply the reminder in our minds. When you said, it's simply the remainder in our minds. I mean, I, I mean, that's where it all started anyway. That's where it remains. If I don't get back to the mind and take care of that, nothing's going to change. So that was good. I like that slip. That was really good. Simply the remainder that's in our minds that we have to get back to eventually. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Kat. All right. Rosemary, you want to read? Please. Sure. Thank you. Um, the miracle? Yes. A miracle. The miracle or forgiveness looks on the resistance. It looks on our identification with ourself, on our fear of love and forgiveness, our hate, pettiness, selfishness, anger, depression, and scripts of victimization. I went through all those yesterday. <laughs> it looks on all of that and stops. It looks and waits and judges not. It looks and reminds us that none of this has had any effect on reality. Our resistance to God's love has not changed him. Our resistance to awakening to our true self has not changed it. Nothing has happened. The guilt over our resistance is the problem. The guilt over our decision to leave love, whether we did it ontologically at the beginning or are doing it here right now, is the problem. The Course in Miracles tells us that guilt makes us blind and insane. Guilt makes you blind. And while you see one spot of guilt within you, you will not see the light. And by projecting it, the world seems dark and shrouded in your guilt. You throw a dark veil over it and cannot see it because you cannot look within. For you must learn that guilt is always totally insane and has no reason. Hmm. Keep going. 
No, that's plenty. <laughs> that's good. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not even the resistance. I mean, like in that second paragraph, you got any thoughts, Rosemary, about the guilt over our resistance is the problem, not the the resistance itself. Yeah, it's like I I'm so resistant. It seems it seems um, because it it just keeps it, it keeps happening, and and I have to keep pulling myself back and reminding myself, you know, it, it, this is not real, but it's it's a daily daily struggle, you know. Um, but it does feel good when that when there's one when I get past that. It sure does feel good to let it go. Mm. It's just that it just keeps coming up. I keep getting tested. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rosemary. The, um, I mean, and he's talking, certainly in the second paragraph, he's talking about the internal guilt that gets projected on the world. And then, then, it, then I think it's your resistance, not mine. <laughs> I think you're the problem. You're the guilty party. <laughs> you're the one that keeps screwing up. So, I mean, at first we deal with the, this, the other guy's seeming resistance before we get to the, the real core issue of uh, my own resistance to uh, even seeing I might have resistance. <laughs> That's a big one, even seeing I have resistance. And then when I do, if I do it by myself, I'm going to continually feel guilty about it. I'm going to beat myself up about it. I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to get up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning. It's just going to be this incessant, nonstop, not just the resistance, which is in and of itself, really, it, it's normal. It's not a big deal, but it's the guilt that we beat ourselves up with about it in not so subtle ways. Because, you know, it hurts. Guilt, guilt hurts. <laughs> you know, remember the old rock song, Love Hurts? <laughs> Guilt hurts. <laughs> love's fine. <laughs> Real love's fine. It's guilt that hurts. Yeah. Thanks, Rosemary. Jean, you want to read some? Please. Sure. Guilt says that you have sinned. You have separated from love and therefore are a sinner who deserves to be punished. But if you step back with Jesus and look at what is going on in your mind, which is what it means to have a relationship with him or the Holy Spirit, you end up smiling sweetly and saying, isn't that silly? That is the meaning of his statement at the end of chapter 27 in the text. In gentle laughter, does the Holy Spirit perceive the cause and look not to its effects? He bids you bring each terrible effect to him that you may look together on its foolish causes and laugh with him a while. And you will leave the holy instant with your laughter and your brothers joined with his. This is the gentle laughter that comes from looking at your resistance to the truth, realizing how silly it is to prefer specialness to the love of God. 
The next step is to forgive yourself when you feel the need to do something about it. You forgive yourself when you start to feel guilty over resisting love. That's good, Jean. Any thoughts? Well, I was just thinking, you know, in looking, there's so few words. And it's almost like I have to pay attention to the pauses when I'm listening, because otherwise I really do get confused and then I'm often running and I can't have that gentle laughter because it, it, when I do allow that, when I allow, you know, the Holy spirit, it, it's all, all of a sudden it's so silly. None of it. It was so silly, but I, I think I always have to put words and, and I've got to remember that looking doesn't always have any words. <laughs> Thank mm. you. Mm. That's good. I like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't like it. My ego doesn't like it. Because <laughs> I'm always trying to fill up everything with words. In, in a class, I kind of have to do that. Not Maybe not so much, but <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I feel like that's my job. But certainly when I'm sitting quietly with Jesus, I have, I have a lot of things to tell them, <laughs> but just to allow a pause every now and then. And he, he don't say much either. So, <laughs> I mean, that just kind of quiet time that we share together is, is uh, that's about as close as I think I get to non-duality as it gets. And there's no words in that for sure. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Gene. Bruce Brickman, please. So let me get this straight. My guilt, um, my guilt over resistance is a problem. So whatever I'm resisting is because of the guilt that I have that I left the love that created me. And so in that in that mischief in my mind, um me by me doing that and not, and not really acknowledging it creates a resistance mm -hmm. and i do that unconsciously until i until i can look and uh, with the holy spirit and start to laugh about that and loosen the chains on that on that uh, feeling that I actually did leave. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's good to get back to the bot. What, like, what might the bottom line resistance really be all about? When uh, what's her face wrote "Return to Love." What's her name? <laughs> um, somebody. Marianne Williamson. Yeah, that one. <laughs> When Mary Ann wrote Return President to Love. of the United States. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> when she was when she was doing all that, I mean she was talking about I mean part of part of the process of returning to love, which we never really left, is realizing how resistant we are to returning. So the problem was we left heaven. Which is why it's called return to love, return to heaven. So we believe we left heaven. That's the problem. And then we're resistant to realizing it's just a belief. 
is something we're we're resistant to realizing we couldn't leave heaven and we got this death grip on our belief and we're resistant to letting that death grip of our belief that we actually let heaven go that so that's one way of describing the bottom line resistant i don't want to see that i made all this up and in order to do that i have to keep using like Gene's phrase, a lot of words. <laughs> I have to fill in the blanks. I have to make up stories with lots of words about sin and then guilt and then fear to prove to myself to, that that this uh, this separation really happened. So that that's really the bottom line resistance is our resistance to returning to love. Our resistance to eat. And then, and then there's levels. Our resistance even realizing that's what we're, we're really resistant to. We're think, we think, you know, especially in the world of forum, we got 8 million kinds of resistance. People controlling us, people crossing the line, you know, in terms of our own space. <laughs> and we were resistant to all kinds of things in the world. But that all goes back to the, to the one and only resistance that we're at a gut level that we're hanging on to is that we're resistant to return to love and on top of that we don't even want to admit we made up our the whole belief system so the resistance resistance in one sense is just waking up to waking up i want to stay asleep when freud was doing his work with dreams he it became real clear to him that the reason people keep dreaming is part of it is they want to stay asleep. They want to keep dreaming. I don't remember the motivation <laughs> why people want it, for Freud anyway, why they want to keep dreaming. But certainly in terms of the course, the reason we want to keep dreaming and then don't realize it's a dream is because we're resistant to realizing it is a dream, which ultimately will wake us up and help us realize nothing happened. So in all these things, in all these different topics we go over, whether it's resistance or separation or depression or worry or this or that, I think it's really helpful. And I think the chart helps as always to go back to the decision maker choosing to believe this and, and all this mess happened. And then we're resistant to realizing that that's what happened. <laughs> the decision maker chose to believe in the tiny mad idea and then ran with it. We don't want to realize we did that. But there's steps to getting back there. Here in time and space, we use our brother all the, t all the time to prove to ourselves that our resistance is necessary, it's important, and it helps us survive as a body in the world. We don't want, we're resistant to people taking too much away from us because we'll die. <laughs> we're resistant. We want to be resistant to germs because they're going to kill us. We want to be resistant to thieves. They're going to take away what we own. But that, those are just glimpses of what's really going on internally. Maya, you trying to say something? You are. I, I'm waving around, yeah, kind of frantically. Yeah, I was going to say that Ken says that... Uh, from Freud's interpretation of dreams, the function of dreams, dreams are the royal road to the unconscious mind and they're for wish fulfillment. 
but they they show all our conflicts, all our you know secret wishes, uh, Oedipal complex, all that stuff. So it's 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 the royal road to the unconscious. That's yeah, all. like sometimes when I'm having a really frustrating sleeping dream in the morning, and I'm trying to fix something and it just can't be fixed, and then I just want to go back to sleep and fix it. And I know when I go back to sleep, I'm not going to be able to fix it. So that can't be the real reason I want to go back to sleep. I mean, the real reason has to be because I know it can't be fixed. And I know I'm just going to keep running around like a chicken with my head chopped off is to go back to sleep. So I'm caught in this situation that's unfixable. And, and I get to say, this is what's driving me crazy. Uh, sometimes when my alarm's going off in the morning, I start having dreams of taking the alarm clock apart and then trying to stop it from ringing. And I get down to these pieces and it, the piece is still still vibrating because it's not coming from there. It's not coming from my dream. But I take a hammer and I'm beating the hell out of it. <laughs> I can't get it to stop. <laughs> I mean, but that's what we're doing all the time in the world. <laughs> We're taking hammers and we're beating all these things to death that have nothing to do with really causing the sense of pain, the sense of separation. I mean, we got to take and not even take the hammer. <laughs> just look at it and see. I don't have to even destroy this. I just got to look at it with Jesus and let it go. Let it all go. Yeah. Thanks, Maya. All right. Where are we? Dave Dempsey, you want to read some? Please. Yeah, we're at the next question, right? I think so. Okay. Question. What if the resistance comes in the form of pain? Are you aware of it and take your take medication, which is magic? Is that the same thing? It is exactly the same thing. Of course, you take the medication if you are in pain. And of course, you can call up a friend if you're lonely. You do whatever will alleviate your pain, but do not call for do not call it salvation. Call it magic, but forgive yourself for using it. After all, doing anything in this world is magic. This book, The Journey Home, is magic because you believe it has something you do not have. The book that is the book that is this book talks about a course in miracles is magic. Forgiving yourself or taking magic is the same as Forgiving yourself for taking magic is the same as forgiving yourself for preferring the magical self of the ego to the true self of God. If we were totally in our right minds, we could heal ourselves just by remembering our source. But what if we could do it that easily? We would not be here. We certainly would not need a course in miracles. So forgive yourself for thinking you are still a body that needs and that with needs and that you still feel bodily pain and pleasure. That does not make you a bad person. It simply makes you insane. <laughs> That's good, Dave. Yeah. Comments? Well, yeah, not so much on this one, but before earlier, you know, I kind of worked through this process today. We had our water line fixed. I told you we, our main, so there was some like yard repair to be done and, you know, to get things back because we're supposed to get like three or four days of rain. But I started painting a bedroom yesterday and I still had that to do today to try to get that done. So I had finished painting pretty much and it was going on six o'clock and I was tired. 
And my wife sticks her head in the room. And she goes, I hope you have this done by the time the house cleaners come. <laughs> well, <laughs> the paintbrushes don't just have Dave's name on them. <laughs> that was my first thing. You know, it was just like, that's the first thought I had. Well, the first thought I was, how dare you? <laughs> the, second, the second thought was, the paintbrushes just don't have my name. <laughs> and so I, I kind of stepped back for just a second. And I thought, you know, that was, I thought, kind of hurtful that she said that, you know. I mean, I'm doing everything I can. So I told her that, you know, you, you could help me here. You know, you're not doing anything but playing computer games all day. I'm busting it, you know. <laughs> but then I, I got done to a point and I was done for the day and the walls were all painted and I had trim to do. And so I went and took a shower and I said, I need to see this differently. This is not, I'm take, I'm defending myself and I don't want to feel this way. I've lost my peace. And then I just remembered the saying that God's guidance doesn't tell you what to do or not to do. It is his peace. And then you'll do what you do or don't do. And so after I got out of the shower, I put the room back together and I'm done painting. Because I really thought, what's that got to do with me? What's it got to do with the me, the, the true self, you know? And anything that's going to move forward from that is just going to be angst and, oh, poor me. And so I'm, I'm done, you know? And I don't know, maybe next week or next year or whatever, I'll, I'll do trim or not, you know? And I'm back at peace. But my ego is trying to tell me that I need to finish that up and I need to, you know, and, and I don't. It's what's it got to do with anything? And so I've pretty much just let it go. I'm just still fighting the resistance of the ego to say, you need to get back in that room and you need to be unfairly treated and you need to be a victim, <laughs> you know. But I'm, I'm aware of that. And I couldn't be aware of that if I wouldn't have stepped outside of that whole situation and just saw how the Dave that I put together over the years is reacting. And just from outside of that, I can just look at it and just say, what's it got to do with anything? It's just silly. It's just a pain. It's just pain, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it works when we do it. Um, and just asking for help of that piece and just, and they were just words that I misinterpreted. I just took them as an attack probably didn't mean anything like I meant it to be. And so it's not her, it's not me, it's it's not anything, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, thank God. Because <laughs> <Thank God. laughs> I can tell you. Well, I can tell you. <laughs> well, that's good. Thank, thanks, Dave. I, yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I don't even know why this works. But lately, whenever like I admit when I'm crazy about anything, um, and, and I'm crazy about everything, <laughs> but once I get to the "how dare you" part, I kind of bust out laughing. I mean, I, I just it just didn't seem that dramatic until I got to "how dare you," and then I realized I was making it that dramatic. Like this was life or death. Because you did what you did, now you're dead to me. That was Lynn's opening theme on Tuesday morning. <laughs> How dare you? You're dead to me now. Look what you did. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, and thank goodness I didn't have to step into that. I caught myself. Yeah. And it was just like, 
here I am getting all wound up again. I've lost my peace and there's no reason for that. There's no need for it, you know? So yeah, it, it, it's a blessing for sure. And another great story. <laughs> They're all great stories. If we allow Jesus to show us what's really going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Irene, you want to read some, please? Sure, thank you. <clears throat> Looking at that without judging yourself or others who may be looking at looking at that without judging yourself or others who may be using magic is the essence of healing. That is how the Holy Spirit would take something whose purpose is to make the ego real, pain, for instance, and turn it around and to become an instrument of forgiveness. You can learn to look at your ego choices to be sick emotionally or physically, and then at your choice to seek magical aid for that illness. You can then learn to remind yourself that those choices have had no effect on reality. You look on devastation of your you look on the devastation of your choices, the devastation of your magic, and remind yourself that what you are seeing is false and has no effect on truth. That's good, Irene. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's a, I <clears throat> think we're <laughs> hopefully making the choice. I was thinking as we've been talking of how we can make the choice of reinforcing the ego by looking at something and interpreting it. Or we can make no decision by ourselves, or we can just look with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think that it, with everything, I mean, I, you know, to me, it's generalized. Am I reinforcing the ego mind? Or am I, am I remembering what's true? Am I re reinforcing the truth? And I think it, yeah, I, I love this because the miracle builds on itself. Um, and, and, and I find more and more, we were talking earlier about going, here it is, here it is. Um, I think he used different words, there, there it is again or whatever. Um, but the, we, the more we look, the more we catch what we're doing, the more we go to the mind and, and look what's out there. I think I used my, before uh, your break, the um, looking at the insurrection uh, and, and really getting that projection and really feeling that, that ego mind. But if you just look, look, it shifts. Perception shifts. There's, it's nothing, and it's insane. And I, you know, and I, I love this. Actually, the last sentence on the paragraph before, um, that does not make you a bad person. It simply makes you insane. And I think the more, at least the more I do the course, oh, the world is insane. We're, you know, we're all insane as we're looking at it from the ego mind. I, I was trying to figure out whether. 
I'd rather be a bad person or an insane person. I like insane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm insane. Still not sure about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we try to, to get really serious psychologically about insanity. But, oh, my goodness, you know, if we're just um, lo looking at our own in insanity, the silliness of, um, you know, forgetting to laugh at something that makes no sense whatsoever. We're doing it all the time. Part of it is, I mean, the good thing about knowing you're insane is at that point, you know, you have to ask for help because you have, you know, you have no idea what reality is. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. Where, where else can you go? Just the yeah, And if I'm bad, that means I'm going to hell. But if, if I'm insane, that means I just don't know what reality is and I just need help. <laughs> that sounds good to me. <laughs> good. Thanks, Irene. Yeah, you're welcome. Right. Thank you. I, 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 I watch my ego's uh, hair stand up on... Uh, when Ken called the Course in Miracles magic, anybody else have that? <laughs> you were okay with that? <laughs> Sally wasn't. <laughs> Just me and Sally. Dave Van Dyke, were you okay with that when Ken said the Course of Miracles is magic? I, I think I blacked out when that one was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good way to deal with it. <laughs> it's magic. I sure need it. <laughs> So, so wouldn't magic be insanity too? I don't care. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll take any help wherever I can get it. <laughs> I, I like the eleven spoonfuls philosophy on that. I, I believe in magic, so. <laughs> so, so I had to step back and think about trying to get okay with that statement because <laughs> I'm a good course student. Don't tell me what I'm doing is magic for God's sake. <laughs> All these years. <laughs> Isn't it about letting go of everything? Kind of. Well, I think, <laughs> I, I think if the ego uses the course, it, obviously it's going to be magic, but if the ego uses anything, it's going to be magic. But the, I think the reverse is true. If the ego, if the Holy Spirit helps me drink this tea and I drink it with the Holy Spirit, it's going to become a miracle. I mean, everything is, is a way back. So I like that idea. After, the, after I explained that to myself, <laughs> I wasn't so offended. <laughs> it's all magic if it's used by the ego, including this is a big book. I mean, I used to beat myself in the head with this thing. <laughs> it's a good weapon. <laughs> But we are using it in the classroom, so would, I mean, you start with using it with the ego. Yeah, the ego speaks first. The undoing, the ego speaks first. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, thanks, Irene. All right, thanks, Sally. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Bruce Brickman, you're waving. Yeah, for me, I think uh, uh, insanity is the right word because it sort of dissolves the good and bad part of of the situation by being insane you know and as far as the course being magic well you know 
the uh, the ego being an illusion, and course two is an illusion. One takes you to um, wrong mind. The other one takes you to truth. And he, he says in the end, you can leave this course behind. You know? All clues, you know. <laughs> Good clues. <laughs> it's all a big clue game. <laughs> Mr. Potter in the, with a candlestick in the dining room. <laughs> Get back to where the ego really is and who did it <laughs> and that's all made up too was somebody else waving rebecca were you waving before i think it was but i think bruce said it really just this idea that um the course is magic when we're in the ego and we don't know it and it's magic when we're in the right mind and we know it. Hmm. I mean, it is form. <laughs> it's bigger than an aspirin. I don't mind taking aspirins. <laughs> they work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. Rebecca, you want to read some? Please. I'd love to if you could uh, help me see where we are. I did no, 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 no. Are we in that is why or yeah. yes. I think that's where we are. Yes. That is why? Yes. Okay. That is that is why I continually emphasize there is nothing in a course in miracles about behavior. There is nothing in this course that would tell you that something you do or do not do is right or wrong. A Course in Miracles is only about changing your mind, which means changing your teacher. When you choose Jesus, and you will relate this, and you will relate to this more and more, you will walk with a gentle smile on your face. Even as you are going through ego experiences, and even though people around you are going through theirs, there will be that gentle smile that does not allow the decision for the ego to become more real than you have already made it. That's such a good sentence. You do not reinforce it. You just look at it. This cannot be said too often. I love that sentence. Um, don't allow the ego to become more real than you've already made it right so like we're revisiting this we're revisiting this idea of an ego like don't reinforce it we've already kind of like i don't know we, we the, the more we reinforce it the more we're, we're indebted to the dream and like, it's like, we're, we're always at every moment getting a second chance to not believe it. You know, every moment is a, is a, is a new opportunity to decide for something else. I really like that. Yeah. It reminds me of rules of decision. So, you know, something dramatic happens and I'm already caught in it. Right. And then my ego's tendency is to build a federal case, bring in the witnesses. Think of clever things to say, 
convince the jury who's that I'm right. <laughs> Look at it the way I'm seeing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it goes on and on and on. Of course, it never ends either. It's like me and that dumb clock, and I'm trying to destroy the clock. Because <laughs> that's not the problem. That's not where the problem is. It's not the problem at all. <laughs> yeah. So don't reinforce this case that I'm building. Make it more real than it. I've already made it. Yeah. And I realize like every time I retell my stories, you know, I, I think that there are like these ways of relating to people. This is under this guise of, oh, this is how we relate through these like stories, these, these horrible things that have happened to us. And, um, I'm just becoming more and more increasingly aware that the more I share these stories of bad things that have happened or like war wounds or whatever, that it, I'm just reinforcing. It's just a way to keep defining myself. And um, it's unnecessary. Yeah. Especially here in this building, living with about 60 seniors it becomes who you know you get on the elevator and who's got the best war story who's got the best gossip in the building i mean it's really bad <laughs> and i can feel the pool <laughs> well tell me more tell me more <laughs> so i can tell the story and, and even make it better the next time i tell it <laughs> right so I know what to focus on. You just said it your way, but now I, I, I boy, when I tell this story, it's going to be really juicy. <laughs> right? That's good. Thanks. Thanks, Rebecca. All right. Okay, Jerry. I know you've been dying to read. I could feel it just oozing through my screen. Pick uh, me. Pick I, me. Can, I can hardly wait. And you're standing in my way right now, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think my something. <laughs> okay, sorry, Jerry, you gotta wait. Okay, <laughs> Maya, where are you? I have oh, no dear. idea, and no, I don't have anything. <laughs> no, My screen is frozen. <laughs> okay, sorry. okay, Jerry. Sorry. okay, you're ready. You're ready. I don't know, but we'll we'll give it a shot. Go ahead. Okay. On the other hand, be vigilant for the temptation to use looking at your ego with Jesus as a means of indulging your ego. That is a common temptation. You end up saying, it's okay if I'm angry with you and hate you because I'm looking at it with Jesus. It's okay if I take this knife and stab you because I'm looking at it with Jesus. At least I know that I'm projecting as I push the blade through your heart. <laughs> I guess there was a reason I, I chose this one for you, Jerry. Yeah, it's a great one. You know, I'm into I'm into murder, you know, and all kinds of devastation. So it works for me. Okay. I, I you know, I'm here to represent the dark side. <laughs> all right. Go for it. Okay, I think I'm gonna read that sentence again. At least I know that I'm projecting as I push the blade through your heart. Unfortunately, I have heard many of these horror stories, not about people stabbing one another, but about people's distortions 
about the meaning of looking with Jesus. It has become a means of indulging their egos, wherein they are not being honest with themselves in acknowledging how they enjoy their anger and specialness. I think one more, too, kind of goes with it. Integral to the process of looking with Jesus at your ego is the comparison of the two states, the ego state you are in and the state you are giving up by choosing the ego. In other words, if I angrily hold grievances against you, I do not experience the peace of God, nor can I experience it if I indulge or luxuriate in my special love relationship with you. It is important to include that step in your processing, because if you do not experience the cost to you of being with your ego, you will not be motivated to give it up. You may become expert at looking with Jesus at your ego, but 50 years from now, you'll be unhappily you will unhappily discover that you are still in your ego. This is inevitable if you have not allowed yourself to feel the searing pain that comes from pushing his love and peace away and accepting it or accepting in their place the ego's shabby substitute of specialness that A Course in Miracles describes. Okay. <laughs> Pretty tough paragraphs. Uh, the moral of the story is if you're going to criticize somebody or judge somebody, just kind of weave Jesus out at this point in time and just take responsibility for your, <laughs> for your own actions. Stab him without Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't hold to Jesus' hand while you go all psycho on him. <laughs> well, that's a good moral to the story. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and we've done we've done classes on on this particular aspect. Um, <clears throat> the motivation <clears throat> for doing anything in the course, the motivation for even trying the, the three steps of forgiveness in the first place, the way it's kind of spelled out as a process in the course, the motivation is, is when we begin to recognize how much pain we're in. You know, a lot of times it happens when we're in our forties, we just spent years and years and years trying to make something that worked and it didn't work. But this idea of the cost we're paying all the time for choosing the ego becomes the motivation when we get do and compare to, like he says, we, we do get these glimpses of a holy instant. We do get these glimpses of what it feels like pretty good when we lay down our judgments for a little bit. So the, the contrast that he was talking about in the first paragraph between that experience with the con with contrasting that with the experience of how good we feel when we like when Dave gets out of the shower and he's not holding everything against the world anymore. <laughs> I mean, it feels pretty good. <laughs> it's quite the release. So uh, it's the cost that it's getting in touch with this cost that we're paying constantly for our constant judgments. That really is the motivation for, man, 
I, I don't care how right I am when I say how dare you. I know where it's going to take me. And it's not going to feel good. I'm going to cut myself off from you and everybody else and from Jesus. And, you know, then there's just no hope. And then I'll beat myself up for doing it. <laughs> if I don't reconnect with Jesus and ask him to walk me out of it. Darkness. So, yeah, it's quite the, uh, it's quite the trap. Irene, go ahead. Yeah, it seems to me a, a way of further dissociating mm. from Holy Spirit. I mean, we're dissociating, we've dissociated anyhow, and we're dissociating from the pain of the ego, which is another um, piece of armor, you know, that, that we've got against love. Yeah, it's just a never-ending story of guilt. Yeah. It just keeps going, perpetuate. It has to. If we let the light in, if we stop for a second, we might realize we don't have to do it. Yeah. Thanks, Irene. Bruce Brickman, please. Yeah, a lot of this uh, pain and suffering, that, uh, like in, in my earlier years, I didn't know of the course. And, and uh, didn't really, uh, I just went with... Uh, my emotional behavior, you know, and now that I can look back on it, as I'm looking back on everything, I can see that this 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 pain this pain that was brought to me and the suffering, rather than holding it hostage, I can use them as, as a messenger, you know, and so when I really want to heal myself. I, instead of um, trying to go uh, someplace where I don't know where to go, I just try to look and find a safe place, not only within myself and the Holy Spirit, but with uh, in other places to go. And a lot of that helps my fear and my disillusionment in creating the safe place. It, it could be the holy instant. It could be this class, you know. It's, it's you know, in, instead of saying heal myself, I, I, I try to look at it, where's my safe place? Where can I go to be able to look, not only with Jesus, but with others who have Jesus in them? That way, it, it, it brings in a oneness and everybody's looking through one heart rather than, you know, a separate uh, um, a situation where everything is broken apart. It, it looks at it with one purpose and understanding that we're all starting, all uh, fighting the same hard battle, you know, and uh, remembering who we were. Yeah, I, I, as you were saying that, Bruce, I was thinking, um, ironically, we're resistant to go into that safe place. Um, and the way you described it sounds pretty nice. Why would I be resistant to going there? And, and I think it's because uh, 
uh, I'm actually resistant to look at, uh, at looking at how unsafe I feel all the time. I mean, because that's the cost I'm paying for not going to the safe place is I'm staying in this place of unsafety and I keep minimizing it or rationalizing it or um, somehow I'm not fessing up to how unsafe, how terrified I really am in any given moment. And so that comparison between how I feel when I'm here in the unsafety and how I feel when I'm in the safe place becomes that's the cost, that's the price we pay for resisting the safe place. And it, even admitting that's possible. Yeah. That's sort of like the flip side of the coin, I imagine. Yeah, right. Big coin. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Jerry, were you when your dog was barking, do you have something else? Or is that you barking? How do you know it's my dog? Because you were the only one on. <laughs> my dog was responding to the paragraph. I thought it was you. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Okay. All but, right. you know, in these two paragraphs, he talks about it as searing pain. It's just not pain. It's like searing. It's it's incredible the kind of pain that, you, that I experience when I'm off doing this craziness. Mm. Yeah, right. And expressing my grievances. And, it's a huge Judging. break. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Jerry. Yeah. yeah. Gene, thanks. Um, in that paragraph where um, he writes, it's okay if I'm angry with you and hate you because I'm looking at it with Jesus. I had such a visceral response to that. And, and, and as I was reading that, I thought it's because I betrayed that beautiful spot we're talking about. I betrayed that. I betrayed that, you know, that beauty. I mean, and that word betrayal made me feel awful. It's just, so I just, I just had to express that because I felt it was just like, but it, but it's, but it's been a good teaching tool because I can look at it differently now, you know, thank you. That's good. Thanks, Gene. Yeah, good. All righty. Let's close with. Workbook, page 407. And last three paragraphs, paragraph three, four, and five. We'll use that as a closing meditation. It's number two, what is salvation, paragraphs three, four, five. Abby, you want to read that, please? Yeah, thank you. I will. Salvation is undoing in the sense that it does nothing, failing to support the world of dreams and malice. Thus it lets illusions go. By not supporting them, it merely lets them quietly go down to dust. And what they hid is now revealed, an altar to the holy name of God, whereon his word is written with the gifts of your forgiveness laid before it and the memory of God not far behind. Let us come daily to this holy place and spend a while together. Here we share our final dream. It is a dream in which there is no sorrow, 
for it holds a hint of all the glory given us by God. The grass is pushing through the soil, trees are budding now, and birds have come to live within their branches. Earth is being born again in new perspective. Night has gone, and we have come together in the light. From here, we give salvation to the world, for it is here salvation was received. The song of our rejoicing is the call to all the world that freedom is returned, that time is almost over, and God's Son has but an instant more to wait until his Father is remembered, dreams are done, Eternity has shined away the world, and only heaven now exists at all. Thanks. Thanks, Abby. Thank you. So into the safe place. We'll go together for a little bit. Gently, gently, gently. You might as well just keep on hanging out here in the, in the safe place. Sleep here tonight. <laughs> Wake up in the morning in it. What the heck? <laughs> See what that feels like. <laughs> no, no, I'll find some excuse to resist that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what all excuses are. The resistance of the safe place. You were so right, Tim. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Everybody. Good night. Thanks, Tim. Everybody Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, Tim.